I am uh, absolutely thrilled to be here. But you know, just in the way of a challenge coming out the gate here, you can take your Bibles be turning to Romans chapter 1. Um, you know, when you, a lot of people are trying to discern God's will for their life. And it's very important that you're active doing what you should be doing as just a, a believer. And in the process of just doing what you should be doing as a believer, God many times will use your motion in that area serving God to direct you, you know, to, to where he, uh, to different <clears throat> aspects of um, service. Case in point, um, it'd be about 1971, and I was, um, I was a student, and we'd go down to the University of uh, Georgia and try to evangelize college students at University of Georgia every weekend, and we'd, it was 100 miles each way, and one particular week, every week I'd go, every week I'd go, did that for like two years, and I was headed down there, and there was a new guy that showed up, and he and I, I'm six foot four, and in the back seat of a 1967 Mustang, I don't know if you know how crowded the back seat of a 1967 Mustang is, but I'm back there crammed in with this guy, I've never met him before, he's sitting next to me. And I said, so what's your name? He said, my name is Rich Woods. And um, I can't remember where he's from exactly. But uh, he asked me, where are you from? I said, well, I, I grew up in California. And uh, I was born, my dad was uh, Air Force, uh, served during World War II. He got out, uh, he, he served in Alaska, flew uh, ferry command up there, basically had to fly every airplane that uh, the Air Force had at the time during World War II, got out. And um, then during the Korean conflict, got recalled and uh, got, trans got stationed in Sacramento, California. And he was governor of California's personal pilot in OC-47. I've got the log books. They're just interesting to read, very fascinating. Then he got transferred down to Georgia Air Base in Victorville. And that's where I was born. I was born on the base there. And um, so I was telling him a little bit of my story. He said, you know, he said, I served a summer internship um, this past summer at a church in California, and he said, you know, they'd be looking for someone to come back this uh, next summer, and I, I think you'd be a shoe-in. I think you would, you would fit right in. And the guy's name is uh, David Ennis. He's pastor of this church. And that guy, Rich Woods, never came back on that extension again. One night, we happened, there was like three cars of people. I just happened to be sitting next to him, just happened to be sitting next to him. And so he gave me his contact info. I called him Christmas time. He invited my to-be wife and I to come down and just interview. Um, so we drove down. We, um, our home was around Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo area. That's where I grew up. And um, interviewed. He said, I'd like to invite you to come. And uh, so when um, the last amen was said that school year, my sophomore year, I, um, I got home, my parents donated to me their old car, they bought a new car, they donated my uh, 1965 Rambler American. Some of you old people will know what a Rambler American is. And I had a, um, I was a dirt biker, I used to race dirt bikes, and I, I put my Bull Taco motorcycle in the trunk of the car, and I showed up here in Yucca Valley in 1972. And they just farmed me out. About every two weeks, they'd move me to a different house here. I'd just stay with different people here in Yucca Valley. 
Um, I ended up spending quite a bit of time with the Etherton. Some of you might recognize that name, and uh, Gordon Etherton, and uh, really, really enjoyed those people. And anyway, um, I, I never, hardly ever used the car. I just rode the bull taco out across the desert, you know, just visiting and, and you know, picking chunks of choya out of, you know, different parts of my anatomy, you know, a lot of that around. But, um, you know, it, it was a defining time in my life. Um, we ended up, my, my wife's dad was an orthopedic surgeon. I've known my wife since she was 15. We, they moved, his doctor and his family moved to our town. I was already attending Calvary Baptist Church in San Luis Obispo. And um, they showed up and uh, had this little daughter. And we had no romantic inclination, um, but I just have known her since we were 15. We did all kinds of youth activities and stuff together. And her dad got saved. He was an orthopedic surgeon in San Luis Obispo. And he kind of gave his life to missions right out the gate, um, salvation. And they ended up serving for over 25 years in the country of Bangladesh as a medical missionary. And my dad, um, we had a business that we... Um, um, we were kind of principals then starting, and we built cryogenic valves. And uh, my dad took an early retirement. He, you know, he didn't really need the money anymore. And um, he renewed his pilot's license, and he and mom moved to the island of Mindanao in the Philippines and set up an aviation program for ABWE. And they were both going to be leaving simultaneously. So Chris and I, she was in San Luis, I was here. We talked on the phone. And I said, you know, it's going to be tough. Our parents are going to be just getting on the field and just, you know, getting started. And then we're going to call them and tell them they have to come home for a wedding. I said, how about we just up it and we get married this summer? It was nuts. We were 20 years old. And anyway, so we got married and then we came back here and just stayed on here at the church um, for most of the rest of the year. Then we moved back and finished our schooling. But I'll tell you what, that... That year out of school was just a defining time. And Dr. Ennis, uh, I don't know if he's a doctor at that point, it was Pastor Ennis. I don't, I don't know a 20-year-old on planet Earth that I would entrust with the kind of stuff he handed me and said, go for it. You know, it, it was unbelievable. And I think, I think now, I thought, wow, he, I, I just can't believe I got to do this stuff. But he, he stretched me, and he, but he talked to me a lot and, and, and counseled me, and we prayed together. And, and I still remember, this will kind of go with what I'm talking about tonight. He got me a nice little New Testament in a box. I still remember he handed it to me. He said, this is your fishing kit, and I'm going to teach you how to fish. And we would, we would go together. I just I just watched him, how he, how he dealt with people and how he dealt with their souls and how he had a, had a burden for lost people here in Yucca Valley. And we saw, we saw so many people come to faith in Christ. And then I started, you know, going solo. And uh, it was so fun, just one of those rooms. I was teaching junior high boys back here in one of these rooms. And I still remember, you know, one of the boys staying after class, and I had the privilege of sitting there and leading him to Christ right there in the room back there. Just, it was so many rich experiences, but I learned a little bit about the function of a church, you know, and it was so important, and Pastor Coleman and I have been talking about the, the value of internship, and, uh, 
you know, what Calvary Baptist has done in the past, I pray that that thing will, will continue and there'll be others that come along and are mentored uh, to ministry. We're still doing it. I looked at our original prayer letter and, and picture, prayer card, and I looked at us. We were just kids. And I'm thinking, who in their right mind would support people like us? You know, just looking at the picture. That we're... But here we are, 50 years later, still, still going. And, uh, you know, I thank the Lord for you guys and the way that you have supported us and, and prayed for us, but also given so that we could be there and uh, as an extension of this church through your mission program. Um, we started back in 78, um, uh, Grace Baptist Church in Salt Lake City. Um, I, you know, I didn't really realize it at the time, but I think I'm more of a country guy. And uh, Salt Lake was kind of hard. And then the Lord started moving us to rural areas. We were in Salina, a town of 20, about 2,300 people. We were there for 13 and a half years and established a Faith Baptist Church. Praise the Lord. All the churches are still continuing on and, 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 and solid. And then after 13 and a half years, we moved to the little town of Marysvale. And when I told my wife that we were intending to go to Marysvale, she said, we can't go there. I said, why? She said, well, you're intending on building a church, right? Starting a church. I said, oh, yeah. She said, we can't go there. I said, why? You have to have people to start a church. There are no people here. This town of 400 people. And you know, God just did above and beyond whatever could be imagined. And now uh, there's a self-supporting church in Marysville. It took, it took us 25 years, but brand new building, paid for, debt-free, and it's just really a testimony you know, of what God can do. And then the week that we passed the baton to the new pastor in Marysville, there's a church 150 miles north and a little bit east of us, Suddenly became without a pastor, so we stepped in there, and the Coleman's actually were there at Price one time, and they were on vacation and came through. And uh, it was more of a revitalization. The church was not in real great shape. And I praised the Lord after two years. I figured it'd be a couple weeks, you know, a few weeks, maybe a couple months. We were there two years, and now they have a, a new pastor, and they're doing great. They're absolutely doing just wonderful. Well, then what do we do? And I'm, I'm a... I'm a couple ticks, one, about one tick over 70 now, and I didn't really see us starting another church, but here we are, and, uh, and brother, you're, you're a few years in now with your church plan. We're, we're six months in with Community Baptist Church in Tropic, but there's no other options. I mean, there's, there's the Mormon church or there's us, and that's it, and Bryce Canyon, we're 10-minute drive from the entry of Bryce Canyon, this church. And Bryce Canyon gets over two million visitors a year. And they find us on the internet. They, they walk into church. This, this, this same statement is made. Do you realize, like, you're the only Bible option church, you know, in the whole area? And yeah, we kind of know that. That's why we're here. And I would, you know, the church, it's, it's going to take a while, just a bunch of little small farming communities. And but uh, we're seeing some great things, and God's blessing, and we're excited uh, to be there and to be your representative there. You know, as you think about all that's going on with Israel right now, it's just a, it's in the news. We all are thinking about it, I think, and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. 
Um, not too long ago, I, I, I had a, a guy in our church that showed up one Sunday, lives, at that time lived about 12 miles south of us, red hair, I think he was 34 years old, and uh, he sat through the service, he caught me at the door, he said, well, that was interesting. He, I mean, he actually had moved there, lived there, he moved from Las Vegas up there, and um, he said, but I just want you to know I'm Jewish, and he said, I don't believe that uh, Jesus is Messiah. I said, Randall, I said, you know, we'd love to have you keep coming. And so he, uh, he kept coming. And around Christmas time, I preached some, uh, I preached some of the Old Testament texts, the, um, you know, concerning the prophecies concerning the coming of Christ. And my wife said, and I don't do Facebook, it's just to me, I, I, don't, I just don't do it. It's just, it, it, it's too time consuming. I figured my wife will tell me anything I really need to know. So anyway, um, she said, you ought to see what Randall's posting on Facebook. And I read a couple of the posts, and I said, you know, I think he's getting it. He's, he's, making, he's making, you know, he's starting to understand that Jesus really is Messiah. And it wasn't too long after that he caught me at the door going out. He said, hey, Pastor, could we, uh, could we talk this week? And I said, sure, Randall. What do you want to talk about? He said, well, I, I really believe that I need to be saved. And I said, well, we can do that right now. He said, really? I said, yeah. And people in our church hang around forever. And so we were in the office for a while. He had it all figured out. He, he really did. He, he didn't need a lot of coaching. He just needed to formalize it. And uh, he came out. And I mean, he was the original glow stick. He came out. And he's telling everybody, you know, what had happened. Well, he met a young lady in our church. And they just recently got married. His Jewish father came to the wedding and he lives in Michigan now, but he used to be in Las Vegas, and he was a principal developer of casinos, a Jewish guy, casinos in, in Las Vegas. He personally raised, they wanted to build a new synagogue, a new Jewish synagogue in Las Vegas. You know what the price tag was in the synagogue? And he raised all the money from casino owners to build this casino, $40 million a synagogue. You know, but he's pretty proud of that, you know, and he's, so Randall said, you know, my dad just really loves airplanes. He said, do you think you're taking for an airplane ride? I said, sure, I'll do that. So we're flying around, and he said, um, so how did you come to do what you do? And I said, well, it's kind of, you know, it's just not a great venue to be talking too much up there. And I said, I'm going to tell you all about it when you buy me breakfast when we land. And so he said, okay, that's the deal. So uh, we talked in the restaurant for an hour and a half, and I could just see God, I could see this guy is tortured, because he's now got a son that's a believer, and he's hearing this, and we ended up, I drove him back um, to where he was staying in Airbnb, we, we sat in the driveway for another hour and a half, and just solid witness to this guy. Um, he hasn't gotten saved yet. And some of you have probably seen this movie, I saw it years ago. It's got a real simple title. It's got two letters in the title. It's Up. Anybody seen Up? Yeah, some of you. Okay. And it's not too bad a movie. It actually teaches some pretty good moral principles. But there's a pack of dogs in the movie, right? You remember the pack of dogs? And they're bent on destruction. They're bent on destruction. And there's one word that's shouted out that um, instantly changes the evil direction they're headed. What is it? Squirrel. Squirrel. Yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, I say, squirrel, and man, they're, oh, squirrel, okay, and they're off. Um, 
But similarly, and kind of in an opposite way, I see Christians who are headed in a right, God-honoring direction, and Satan, the great enemy, comes along and he yells out, squirrel, and we get so easily distracted, don't we? And we're off the rails, we're doing something that has no eternal significance. Christians, it's so easy to get sidetracked from the will of God. I've been in ministry for 50 years now, and I, I, I have seen churches divide and split over some of the most ridiculous stuff. It's ridiculous stuff. So biblically, what should be the focus of New Testament Christians? What should be the focus of Calvary Baptist Church, the people in Calvary Baptist Church right here in Yucca Valley? Well, here in Romans chapter 1, there's a reason I have to read several verses. I won't read as many as uh, Brother Casey read. I was really concerned that he was going to read all of Psalm 119. But I'd like to read a few here. Uh, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he hath promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll stop there. A whole lot of points can be made from that passage of Scripture. I'd like to focus on the word gospel in verse 1. Focus on the word gospel. So, in the first chapter and a half of Romans, you see the word gospel appearing um, several times, actually. It appears. So, from all of chapter 1, halfway through chapter 2, it appears several times. I'm going to just look at three instances where it appears. And here in chapter 1, verse 1, it is called the gospel of God. Notice that, the gospel of God. This, this phrase likely, you know, describes the genius that is behind the gospel, uh, the brilliance, the, the source of the gospel. God is the architect of the gospel. The Greek word gospel, by the way, I think you probably all know, simply means good news. It's just, it's really simple. It's just what the word means. The second instance of the word gospel that I'd like to bring out to your attention is found in verse 16. It's a very familiar verse. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. But notice here there's a little bit of a difference. Verse 1 is called the gospel of God, I think denoting the fact that he is the genius behind it, he is the architect of it. But here it is called the gospel of Christ. And I think we see here the, the means by which the gospel came to man. Jesus, the Son of God and God the Son, came to earth on a rescue mission. He came to give his life. And it's interesting that verse 16 goes on to describe the gospel of Christ as the power of God. And if you back up to verse 4 here in chapter 1, notice the declaration that is made concerning Christ. He's declared to be the Son of God with what? Power. Same word. 
with power according to the spirit of holiness. And so it's the very power of God that declares him to be God to come in the flesh. And Christ's gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that's how it affects us as humans. The gospel impacts us by the power of God. So the power of God brought Christ into the world. The power of God impacts us with the gospel that comes forth from Christ and what his redemptive work. Then a third passage that mentions the gospel, and this one's, you know, kind of in the context of judgment, chapter 2 and verse 16. I'm not going to deal with that so much. I just want to deal with the word. And in verse 16 of chapter 2, it says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Who wrote it? Who's the, who's the human author here? Paul, right? And I find it really interesting that he calls it my gospel. So you got the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, and now my gospel. What do you suppose? Is Paul saying, well, I helped God, you know, come up with this plan of salvation? No. He's saying, it's my gospel by ownership. I have owned this. It is, it is, it is I have accepted this, therefore it is my gospel. Um, I think that's an important distinction to come up with. You know, if mere religious practice would, could save people, Paul had it made, right? Philippians chapter 3. What do you read in Philippians chapter 3? Paul calls himself the Hebrew of the Hebrews. There's no Hebrew that was more Hebrew than Paul. And a really good Pharisee, right? I mean, you can read that whole passage in Philippians chapter 3. Great Pharisee blameless concerning the law. He just he goes on and extols all the virtues that he had B.C., before Christ, right? But what did all that score him with God? A big, fat zero. Nothing. And you know, it's easy for people to check all the religious boxes and jump through all the religious hoops and still have no hope for eternity. What is the determining factor for a right relationship with God? It is the gospel. It's the gospel. And more importantly, it's accepting the gospel. Yeah, it's the gospel, but for it to be efficacious for any person, it has to be accepted into the life, as in my gospel. That's what Paul says. It's my gospel. Chapter 2, verse 16. So every satanic force from hell will yell squirrel. And off the gospel rails we go. And with that in mind, what exactly is the gospel? I mean, we know it's a good news. That's what the etymology of the word. But the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, or my gospel, what is it? There, of course, we live in Utah. And you can kind of understand um, a little bit. Uh, it was interesting this week. Um, well, last week, too, we were up in Fairbanks. I was preaching a Bible conference up there. And a week ago Sunday night, as I just started preaching, two young ladies walked in the back door, and they sat about two-thirds of the way back right on this side over here, and they had name badges on, and I was right away, I went, ah, I know who they are. And it was interesting that, it was really interesting, the message I was preaching that night. It, it, they had never heard anything like this before, and I could see them kind of bristle, and I could see them kind of relax as I explained things a little more. 
And when the service was over, I went right to him. And, um, and I said, uh, I'm so glad you're here tonight. You know, thank you for coming. And, and the one said, I don't think I've ever heard anything like this before. I'm sure they haven't. And um, so I gave him my card, and I said, my wife and I are going to be in the area here for a, a while in Fairbanks, Alaska. And, and if you'd like to get together with us, um, you know, just give me a call. Next morning, text, would you like to get together today? Uh, we can meet at 1030. So my wife and I took him to a restaurant and um, found out they were both from Utah, which is, you know, you don't know where somebody in Fairbanks, where they're going to be from, but they were both from Utah, one from Ogden, one from Huntington, which is 10 miles from Price, where I was filling in at that church. And uh, so we had a kind of an instant connection, and we just, um, we shared the gospel with them, you know, just, just really um, clearly and you know, but to a Mormon, I said, I said, the third article of faith, the Mormon church says, we believe that all mankind can be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. I said, so tell me exactly what are the laws and ordinances of the gospel? Explain it to me. And they, they kind of had the deer in the headlight look, you know, and they, they'd never been asked that question before because they're used to controlling the narrative. Well, they, they tried and they said, well, um, I, I guess maybe you could probably start with the Ten Commandments. I said, that's good. I want you to list the Ten Commandments for me right now. And, you know, they fumbled around. They actually did better than most I've done, done this with. They got about eight, uh, seven. I think that's seven. I said, well, there's a few more. But I said, I don't want to embarrass you, but the fact is, how can you expect to be obedient to something that you don't even really know what it is? And I said, what is beyond that? And there's all kinds of laws and all kinds of things you have to be doing. And I said, you know, it, it, it really seems to me is really quite impossible. I'm not, I'm, and it was so interesting. I'm, not, I'm just going to fast forward. But at the end, the one girl is three months from leaving her mission, being done with her mission. And she's the one that lives in Huntington, which is closest to us. And she said, you know, I would like to come visit you when I get off my mission. She said, in fact... Um, would it be okay to do a Bible study with you guys? Um, it was pretty remarkable. And so then my wife left last Friday, came back, because we have a conference going on right now in Marysville. It, it, our life is kind of convoluted right now. I think if we can live till Thanksgiving, you know, we're going to be good. But anyway, these, these girls contacted me again, these missionary girls. I'm by myself. And they wanted to meet up again. So we ended up meeting in the home of a... Um, um, a church member, a Mormon church member there, and uh, obviously a very affluent home. That the husband's actually a doctor in Fairbanks. And the lady of the house, there's, there's three of us there, and, and it, it, it really was just um, an incredibly remarkable opportunity. I think I'm going to have opportunity with the, the lady of the house as well, besides these two missionary girls. But the one, the one girl said, I'll, I'll, my, my brother has a sports activity in Richfield, and that's where I keep the airplane, that's where we shop and everything. So she said, could I get together with you in December? I'll be off my mission, and I would love to get together with you guys. So, you know, pray. These people can be saved. They can definitely be saved, but they need to understand that it's not according to all these laws and ordinances that are just endless. You, you, you can't possibly, how can you possibly know if you've done enough or you've done enough of the right things? 
the gospel is so clearly defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's, I mean, this is the resurrection chapter in Scripture. Moreover, brethren, Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel. I'm going to tell you what it is. Here is the definition. And he, you know, he describes it a little bit here. He said, I, it's that which I preached unto you, which also you've received, wherein you stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that, number one, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried. Number three, He rose again, the third day, according to the Scriptures. I like to add the fourth one. He was seen. He was seen by a lot of people after His resurrection. And um, so, the same person who declared the gospel to be his gospel, Romans 2, 16, here defines it as the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And it is nothing that we humans bring to the table. We don't add anything. Jesus did it all. And that definition is partially reinforced right back here in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. He's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by what? The resurrection from the dead. So there's part of the gospel right there in, in chapter 1 of Romans. Major component of the only genuine gospel, resurrection of Jesus from the dead. His victory over death means our victory over death as we put our complete confidence and trust in His finished work upon the cross, His death and His resurrection. So... We have that hope when the gospel becomes our gospel, like Paul says it's my gospel. My senior year in high school, <clears throat> I grew up, like I say, my wife, everybody else in the church, we had about 25 teenagers in our church. They all went to a different high school than I did. I, because of where I lived on a little beach community, I had to go to Morro Bay High School. I was like the lone eagle there. I was by myself. And it became very easy to live a very dupli duplicitous life and... I live for sports. I love, I love to see my name on the sports page, uh, you know, every week. And uh, I, I live for that. And I, was, I had been ashamed of the gospel. And this verse, Romans 1.16, just, it changed my life. You know, it's a good thing when Scripture changes your life. And this verse is just transformative to me. And I realized that I had been ashamed of the gospel. I was more concerned about my image as a jock than I was the everlasting gospel of Christ, and people were going to spend somewhere for eternity, and Satan was shouting squirrel at me continuously, and I was off the rails. Have I always put the gospel first since my senior in high school? I, absolutely not. I have not. I've missed many, many opportunities to share the gospel with people who need to hear it but, and, and chased after those ethereal squirrels out there. But sharing the message of Christ and the gospel has become a very high priority in my life. And I know I still will probably miss opportunities. I think we all will. But it needs to be a high priority, whereas it wasn't at all before. And through the years, uh, there's just countless numbers of people that God has somehow been pleased to use me to explain to them the gospel and see them accept it into their life. Look at those seven verses just a little clearer here. Did you happen to notice that there's a reason I read 
verses 1 through 7. Do you know why? It's all one sentence. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's not good just to leave off in the middle of a sentence. Well, this is seven verses that comprise one sentence. Paul was kind of known for penning kind of long sentences, and if I had done that in English 101, I would have flunked for sure. But the brilliant Apostle Paul gets a pass on long sentences. Remember, this is a letter to a church, verse 1. And, uh, and verse 1 identifies the author, Paul, an apostle. You get all the way clear to verse 7, and you find out who he's writing to. It's the church at Rome. <laughs> you find that out in verse 7. But let me tell you something. Paul really juices up between verse 1 and verse 7. There's all kinds of really great stuff in the middle of this, helpful things given between these two verses. As I reflected upon my three-hour conversation with this Jewish guy, this passage just jumped out at me as I thought about this Jewish guy. And it says, verse 3, concerning Jesus Christ, he is this great one who is declared to be the Son of God with power. His coming to earth was prophesied and promised of old by the Old Testament prophets, verse 2. And it's so sad to me that the Jewish people are still looking for the first coming of Christ when, in fact, and the reality is he's already come and gone. And our anticipation is for his second coming, his return for his own. All the Jewish people need to do is connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's right there. It's in their face. So just pops off the page. No question that Jesus really is the Messiah. With that said, we also need to be aware of the danger that there are false Christs out there. Many false Christs, false prophets. Uh, John writing in his second epistle and, and verse 7, he says, Many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And verse 9 continues, said, Whoso transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. This is serious stuff. You can't be messed up on the doctrine of Jesus and expect salvation. And going back to Romans 1.4, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit by the resurrect, His resurrection from the dead. If we choose not to abide in the doctrine or teaching concerning Christ, we simply do not have God. We have no gospel. We have no good news. We're without Jesus, who is defined and described in this book of God. We have to get Jesus right. So that's important, too. And we have the right Jesus. Grace comes into play. And I appreciate Brother Casey. We've, we've in, in praying tonight together, you know, he talks about, he talked about God's grace in our prayer. And verse 5 here in this passage, it says, By whom or through whom? We have received grace. Gospel of God, gospel of Christ. My gospel is grace-based, not performance-based, not our performance. So as Paul closes out this massive sentence, he says to these Roman saints here, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's always in that order. You don't have peace until you've experienced the grace of God. So it's always grace first, and then peace comes as a result of God's grace. Unmerited 
favor, the loving kindness and goodwill of a merciful God. It's that which saves us. Grace, aren't you glad it transcends our sin? Romans 5 and 20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And sometimes we need this reminder. Salvation did not come to us when we were baptized or joined a church, a particular church. I asked those girls, um, when my wife was there at the restaurant, I said, so um, I'm guessing that you have been baptized multiple times for deceased um, relatives. And I said, yes. You can be baptized thousands of times and, and still not be any closer to salvation than you were before. The Ten Commandments do not bring us salvation. Living the golden rule, you can just, I mean, you just go on and on and on. These are not the grounds of salvation. It's by having, or nor is it by having a general belief in God or even claiming to be a Christian. You can claim to be a Christian and still be lost. It's by grace. It's all by God's incredible grace that any of us have hope. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anybody, lest anyone should boast. And we're not going to be in heaven having a big brag fest up there about how we got there. All the good things we did. Gospel is not something you earn. It's a gift. And as a gift, it can only be accepted or rejected. Either one. It has to be one of those two. I pray that everyone here tonight has accepted the gift. Um, I heard the gospel many times as a young person. I sat in church. I heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. It wasn't until the seventh grade that I actually heard it here. Not just here. Not just here. I heard it here. And I went, I have to act on this. I did it by myself. I had no one around to coach me through. I just knew where I stood. I'd heard it enough times, but I finally heard it. And, you know, I, I don't take for granted that everybody sitting here tonight is, is born again. But it's by the moment that we reach out by faith and receive God's gracious gift that we are saved. And so when we act by faith, we can honestly say, and we accept that, we can honestly say, this is my gospel, my gospel, just like Paul did. You know, the culture of our world, even Satan himself, is constantly trying to distract us from the main issue, isn't he? Constantly. Squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> are we going to take the bait? Or are we going to remain committed to the gospel? Um, many of you have uh, owned property through the years. Some of you are here older, and probably some of you have owned multiple properties through the years. Um, we have. Some of you probably own enough cars to fill a small parking lot, you know, <laughs> through the years. Um, you know, uh, where we live is a big recreational area. People have, we are the ATV capital of the world where we live. We really are. It's, we're right in the middle of the longest ATV trail system in the United States. And boy, people come, that's all they do. And I cannot believe what people pay for ATVs. I mean, like 40 grand. I'm like, what? I mean, wow. Um, but they have, you know, RVs and boats and Airplanes, a ah, few exceptions, you know, airplanes are great. Um, 
But let me tell you something, when all those things are gone, when all those things are gone, and they will all be gone someday, then what happens? The gospel will still be there, saving one person at a time everlastingly, when all the junk is gone. There's nothing inherently wrong with a certain amount of stuff. We need some stuff to live, but listen, the gospel overrides it all. There are no U-Hauls going to heaven. But there might be many souls that we'll be spending eternity with that were impacted by the gospel of God that we shared with them. My neighbor on the ranch, when we first moved there, she, she raised uh, Belgian Melanois dogs. And um, I don't know if you know, but they're fierce. I mean, they're like German shepherds on steroids. I mean, if you think Biden's dog has bit people, these Belgian Melanois are just incredible. She had this dog named Baco. And man, that dog bit so many people. And I, I usually get along with dogs pretty good, but this dog would just, I mean, she actually was the clerk, the, the lady who owns the, and she was part of our church, but um, she actually was the clerk for the county judge. The dog bit the judge. I mean, just nailed him. And so I thought, man, I don't want to, I really don't want to get bit. And so, but this dog had a history. So one day, I, I get out of my vehicle, I don't see Baco, and I think I'm safe. All of a sudden, he comes around the house, and I mean, he is coming at me, and his teeth are bared, and I go, oh, crud, I'm going to get bit. And uh, I mean, he's just bearing down like a, like a rifle bullet on me. And I said, he got about here, the front, right, this front pew right here, and I mean, he is, I mean, he's got on a mission to take a chunk out of me. And I said, Baco, where's your ball? He went, ball? And he took off. That became, I mean, I used that every time. That dog would start closing in on me. It worked every single time. Well, I'll turn it, I'll turn it around just a little bit. People need to get bit by the gospel, amen? They need to get bit by the gospel, and we come charging in with it, and the enemy of man's soul says, where's your ball? We go, oh, ball, okay. And we're off looking for a stupid ball. All that to stay, stay focused on the gospel. Um, there's people right now in this town, right now in Yucca Valley that are considering suicide. Where do people find hope that transcends life's problems? The gospel. There's couples in this town right now. They're on the precipice of a divorce. What hope is there for them to repair years of damage? The hope of the gospel, the hope that it brings. There's people in this town who are being destroyed by alcohol and drug addiction. The gospel, this power of God, is able to liberate them from these intoxicants, these crutches that they've taken into their life. There's children in this town who are being wickedly abused. What hope do they have? Yes, the perpetrators need to face justice and judgment. But beyond that, the abused need to receive the eternal hope of the gospel. I'm talking about real life. These are people who live right here. I'm not making this stuff up. 
There are several people in this town, I guarantee you right now, that have lost their job suddenly, and they have no idea how they're going to pay this pile of bills that's just stacking up. They need the hope of the gospel. And right now, there's several people in this town that have just received a diagnosis that they have a very, very short time to live. Well, they, of all people, they need the gospel of God. They need the gospel of Christ. They need it to become their gospel. You've got hundreds of Mr. and Mrs. I'm all rights out there who, who think that through religious effort, they are somehow fitted to live with God for all eternity. They are gravely mistaken. What they need is the good news of the gospel brought to them courtesy of God's grace and not their performance. There's people right here who are trying to gain one more big possession, one more rung on that corporate ladder. But inside, they're empty suits. Inside, there's a, there's a gnawing unsatisfied, unfulfilled emptiness. What will fill the void? The biblical gospel. Globally, there are people being murdered simply based on their ethnicity. And the power of God is the only thing that's going to set our world right. And this world is on fire right now. And I can go on and on, but suffice it to say that everyone needs the gospel. You here at Calvary... If, if you don't share the gospel with the people who live here, who will? Who will? It is such a stratagem of the evil one to get us distracted. And while Christians chase squirrels and balls, souls are perishing without having been confronted with their need of the gospel. You know, 60 years is a wonderful achievement. It is. But, but now is not the time to tap the brakes. It's time to mash down on the accelerator. Now, I congratulate you for maintaining doctrinal integrity through six decades. Keep that up. I mean, absolutely, that is, that is critical. Keep that up. But as we see the day approaching, and I think we know what day I'm talking about, if we see the day approaching, let's take as many people as possible with us on the road to glory. And I'm not trying to put on some sort of sensational prophetic conference here, but just in the last couple of weeks, much of the world is polarizing against God and His people Israel. I mean, it's just happening. I, just, I don't think that's sensationalism. I think it's just what's happening. Listen, folks, we need to get out of the parking lot and into the fast lane of the freeway with the gospel. We're not guaranteed another 60 or 40 or 30 or 10 years or even another year. We're not guaranteed that before Jesus snatches his church out of this world. Let's just stay gospel-focused. Man has devised bombs and rockets. But let me tell you, folks, we have the ultimate power of God in the gospel. Amen. And it's better than anything man 
can engineer. We just need to unleash it on our part of the world. Us up there, you here, unleash the gospel wherever you're at. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you take some of these thoughts and brand them in our minds. We're so thankful, God, that you orchestrated, you drew the plan for salvation and that Jesus came and he, he incredibly gave his life. It wasn't taken from him. He gave his life for us on the cross of Calvary. His blood was poured out. Oh, Lord, we can never thank you enough for that gift. But the least we can do is accept it. And when we do, we know that it will become our gospel, my gospel, Paul said. If there's anyone here tonight who's never put their faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, even a young person, it could be an older person, Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night that they would secure that salvation by trusting fully, completely, totally with everything they possess as far as faith is concerned in the finished work of Jesus, the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And Lord, there's people right now, just like I described tonight, and, and they would be open. Their lives are a disaster. They would be open. God, just help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and to take the good news of the gospel to them. And I pray that you would open the hearts of many and that many would find themselves seated here absorbing the word of God week after week and growing in the faith. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the impact it had in my life. And I pray that there would be many more young men that would come along like I was and be impacted by this good and godly church. Thank you, Lord, for Calvary Baptist. Thank you for your goodness to it over the years. But Lord, help us not to lose focus. Help us not to be distracted. Help us to stay on message. We give you the praise and the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.